Hi guys, my name is Jason Mountford and this is The Hedge Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning into this week's show, guys. I am coming to you just myself today. There's a couple of things that I really wanted to have a chat about. I've got some good interviews still in the pipeline, just need to finish off editing them. I, but I put a uh, put a Instagram poll up on my stories uh, a couple of days ago. Um, well, today, the day of recording, and asked whether you wanted to see a solo show, just me, or whether you wanted to see one of those interviews and the result was a solo show. So here we are, giving the people what they want. Um, there's a couple of things that I want to talk to you about anyway, so it's good timing. Um, there has been a new survey come out from Royal London recently, which looked at how much you need to save in order to have a comfortable retirement. Now, for those of you who have listened to the show for some time, you may have uh, you may remember that um, a number of months back, I looked at how much um, what a comfortable retirement looks like. The Pension and Lifetime Savings Association does these figures every year where they look at how much a retiree needs as an annual income to have a comfortable standard of living. And you can go back and, and find that episode. I'll link it down in the show notes. But today, I want to talk about how much you need to save to reach that objective. Um, because that has that's what Royal London has had a look at, some examples of somebody starting when they're age 22 and other people starting when they're age 40 and then looking at different uh, ages that they potentially want to retire at. So retiring early, 55, all the way through to retiring I guess what you call late, around 70. Um, So I think that's really interesting um, to have a look at. So I'm going to talk through that today. And then I also want to talk about this new mortgage from um, Habito, which is a seven times earning mortgage. So normally uh, banks will lend you up to around four and a half times your your salary uh, as a mortgage amount. Um, And Habito have come out with a seven times mortgage, which is pretty crazy. Obviously, the stock, uh, sorry, the property market has been going through an absolute tear lately so people potentially need to borrow some more money. I want to talk through kind of some of the details around this mortgage and then more broadly around mortgages and um, what to be aware of I guess because the environment we're in at the moment, we've talked I've talked a lot about inflation in the past in the last few weeks. That applies pretty strongly to mortgages as well. So that um, I want to have a, a bit of a chat through that today as well. Now, last week's episode was the on release day, the most po- uh, popular episode that I've ever had. It had a huge amount of downloads, which is fantastic. What I'm taking from that is that everyone is massively fired up for 2022, ready to have your best financial year ever, which I am really excited about because that's how I feel myself as well. I'm really pumped up for this year, especially for all the content that I've got coming your way. So I've been being a lot more active on on Instagram uh, and I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying getting the feedback. I'm enjoying getting the engagement. Um, I think it, it, like anything, you need to be consistent, which I've never really been on there before. So that's that's been really um, cool to see. If you want to find me on Instagram, it's just Jason Mountford Money. Um, and I'm posting up stuff every single day. I'm posting up posts, different things today. I, um, I post, posted up like a little carousel about income tax keeping income tax kind of as simple as possible, trying to give you a little a snippet of financial information every single day and also um, in my stories dropping new bits and pieces that I that I come up with um, as the day goes on and that sort of thing as well. So definitely check that out. Um, again, going to give a little plug for the, the book, Modern Investing Fundamentals. You know, if you're into investments, if you want to learn more about investments, if you want to start off the year right, then that is a really good place to start. A lot of the information in there is information and things that I've talked about over the last year, year and a bit that the podcast has been going. Um, and 
you can go back and listen to all those podcasts. If you haven't, I definitely recommend you do that. But the the book is, it kind of condenses that down. It's not a huge book. It's like, I think it's 60 pages or something. Um, maybe not even that. I can't actually remember off the top of my head. It's um, But it's not a huge book. Um, 40 to 60 pages, I think is a fair estimate, somewhere around there. Um, and it kind of just summarizes all those things. So, you know, what are the different assets? What is diversification? What is risk? What is volatility? What's an emergency fund? All those sorts of things. Um, and it gives you a nice, concise explanation of investing. Um, because I think if you're going to be investing for the first time or you've been investing for a little while, but you want to start to learn a little bit more about it, that could be really, really useful to you. To get a copy, It is you can buy it on Amazon if you want. It's nine quid on Amazon. Um, but I that's not really what I, what I want you to do. What I want you to do is I want you to get a copy for free, which you can do by going to the hedge.io, the website, the hedge.io, uh, and you'll see there that you can just um, drop your email address and a copy will find its way to your inbox within a few minutes. So definitely check that out. So, With that said, let's get into today's episode. So, as I said before, the pension, is it pension? Yeah, Pensions and Lifetime Savings Association. It's kind of like, um, uh, uh, what's the word? Industry body for for retirement funds and that sort of thing, Uh, pension funds. And they look at the cost of living every year, which is obviously going up a lot at the moment. But they look at that every year. They look at that down to some really specific detail, like how much would an average pensioner spend... um, on their weekly food shop, what kind of holidays would they go on, what kind of cars would they have, how many bedrooms in their property, um, all those sorts of things, how much would they spend on clothes and personal care, everything. They look at everything, every kind of cost that they think a normal average person would have. And then they put some figures about uh, what kind of income that they would need to support that lifestyle. So they give you three different figures. They give a minimum, they give a moderate, and they give a comfortable. Now, for me, I just ignore the minimum and the moderate because if you're thinking about this and you're aiming for something, why would you be aiming for anything other than than comfortable? Um, and you know, from my perspective, to be honest, even the comfortable, um, it's fine. It, it is comfortable, but it's not lavish, right? So this is what I would suggest that if you're um, someone who has a reasonable job, you have a reasonable level of, of financial kind of security and you've got some flexibility to be able to start investing for your retirement, I would definitely um, think you should be aiming for a comfortable. Now, for a single person, that is £30,600 per year uh, and then it's slightly less for a couple. Like It's like... Um, it's not just double that for a couple because obviously some of the costs are shared like housing and that sort of thing. Now, you may think if you are under the age of 40, why am I talking about retirement? And that is actually a very good question. And the reason is, is because Royal London have come out with these figures. And, uh, you know, I have talked about the actual amount that you need um, when you hit retirement, but these figures are looking at how much you need to save in order to hit those figures. And, you know, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, if you've been doing some research on personal finance, you'll, you'll know that the earlier you start, the easier investing is, the easier it is to to gain wealth and, and, and the magic of compounding and all that sort of stuff. So, Royal London have looked at some figures. They've said, if you start at age 22, how much do you need to save in order to retire on that comfortable standard of living? We're going to stick with single people for now just because it, it make it easier. Um, and let's say that they want to retire at age 65, right? So, that's kind of the normal you know, inverted commas, retirement age. Um, State pension age is a little bit higher than that now at 67 and probably going to go up a bit more. But at the moment, um, actually state pensions is is higher than that. But 
anyway, state pension is, is higher than 65. Um, and in order to have a comfortable standard of living and retire at age 65, if you started at age 22, you would need to save 745 pounds per month. That's, that's a pretty decent amount. You know, that's, that's quite a lot of money. Um, if you wanted to do the same thing, retire at age 65, but you didn't start until age 40, so you've not done any investing or any pension savings or anything until age 40, you'd need to save £1,465 per month, which again, that's that's pretty significant. I mean, it's double. It's basically double what you need to save if you're starting at age 22. Now, if you want to retire earlier than that, makes a big difference. If you want to retire at 55 rather than 65, at, if you start at age 22, you need to save £1,360 per month. And that's that's every month, every month from age 22. So that's a lot of money. If you're age 40 and you want to retire at uh, 55 and you've not done anything, you need to save £3,330 per month. So that's probably pretty un- unrealistic for most people. Now, I'll put the link up to this um, this article so you've got all those figures. But you know, there's a couple of things I want to tackle with this. Um, the first one that I want to have a look uh, that I think is important to look at is the assumptions, right? And the assumptions that they've made on these figures are that you make those, those uh, fixed pension con- sorry, you make those pension contributions. That, um, that's what they're basing this on. They're, they're talking about pension contributions, so they're not talking about savings. They're talking about pension contributions. So they are fixed every month. The investments grow at 5% per year, inflation is at 2%, and annual management charges on the pension are 0.5%. Now, in my opinion, they are pretty shit um, assumptions, really. So I want to talk about this for a couple of reasons. I want to highlight that the difference between starting at age 22 and starting at age 40 We've, um, you know, we've identified that, that if you start earlier, makes a big difference. You know, you can get away with kind of half the level of contributions. But when we're looking at these assumptions, there's a couple of really big problems with them. The first one is that the, um, the contributions don't increase. Well, if I start at age 22 and I'm putting in 745 quid into my pension scheme, by the time I am 45... 745 quid is not going to be what it was when I was 22. We all, you know, we all know this. If uh, you know, inflation is is a hot topic at the moment. Um, you know, I don't. I'm not going to do the figures, but if you uh, go over sort of a 20 20 uh, year time scale, you know, 745 quid is probably going to be more like 300 or 450, depending on what inflation runs at over those 20 years. So, you know, the the really first thing that you should consider whenever you're looking at a long-term investment strategy is that your contributions should go up each year. You know, at, at the bare minimum, they should go up by inflation. Um, but if you are receiving increases in pay, then they should go up with your increases in pay. So if you've allocated £300 per month to long-term investments and you get a 10% pay rise, you know, you should bump up that figure to £330 per month um, or, you know, at least Three hundred and twenty pounds per month, or something. You know, you should be increasing those contributions in line with, you know, your general level of wealth increasing as well. So that's the first thing that is kind of wrong with those assumptions. Um, the second one is that the investments will grow at five percent per year. Um, and again, if you're talking about retirement planning, even if you start at forty and you're retiring at age sixty-five, that's a twenty-five year 
investment time frame. Um, a 5% return is very, very conservative. You know, over the last 100 years or so, the S&P 500 in the American stock market is is closer to 10%. I think it's actually just slightly over 10% over that period. So they're very conservative numbers um, because if you're investing for that long of a time frame, you really need to think very carefully about your your asset allocation. You know, you should be most likely quite heavily weighted towards the share market because that's going to get you the best returns. Yeah, it'll be volatile, but that's what's going to get you the best returns. Inflation at 2%, um, again, I, I think that's probably wrong. You know, inflation... Um, for a start, inflation is obviously significantly more than that at the moment. You know, in the UK here, it's I think it's for 5.1%, I think was the last figure. Oh, that might be the state. Anyway, it's definitely over 4%. Sorry, I don't have the figure at right hand now, but it's definitely over 4%, 4.2% maybe, something like that. Um, and actually, the Bank of England have now come up and said that they are expecting inflation to hit over 6% this year. So, if Royal London are assuming a 2% inflation rate, that is very low. Now, you could say, well, yes, but at the moment, inflation is just unusually high, and that's true. But the um, the Bank of England actually target between 2 and 3% for inflation. So they're assuming on the low end of inflation here. If you're going to make an assumption on the very long term, I think you, even then you should be looking more at like 25 or 3% inflation. So the inflation is, is wrong. Um, annual management charges, 0.5%. I think that's probably a little bit on the low side, but you know that's fine. So the takeaway from all this, I've kind of just ragged out on all those assumptions. The takeaway from all this is those figures that I gave you at the start, I think are very pessimistic. You know, I think, it, so let's let's start, let's just go with that figure, £745 a month for a 22-year-old to retire at 65. I think that is too high because realistically what would happen is you would hopefully get a better return than 5% on it um, and your contributions would increase as you aged because you're hopefully at 22 you're going to be getting a lot of pay rises from that point. You're going to move jobs a lot of times and your your overall wealth and income will increase significantly between age 22 and retirement. You know, I think even arguably from age 40 to age 65, that's probably one of the areas, that's probably an area where, going to, where again, you're going to still see significant or definitely reasonable pay increases and uh, increases in your wealth over that time as well. So, you know, I don't want those figures to scare you off and think that you need to save that amount of money in order to have a comfortable lifestyle. I think really the key point is, I'm not telling you everything, anything you don't know, I'm sure, is that you do need to start early. Um, the earlier you start paying some attention and, and having um, a look at your, your retirement plan, the better. And, you know, I don't think it means, I don't think you need to worry too much about it if you're in your 20s or, or, or even 30s um, or even 40s. But I think the important thing is, is just very vaguely starting to think about it and starting to put a little bit of your, um, your attention towards it. And thinking about what retirement means for you, because I think, you know, the really important point there is, there's a huge difference between whether you want to retire at age 55 or retire at age 70. You know, and I think there's lots of people who, who hate their jobs and just want to retire as soon as possible. Um, but if you want to retire at age, age 55 and not do another thing, you know, that puts pressure on you from, from two angles. Number one, you've got a big gap between there's any, before there's any state pension coming in. Um, you're retiring early, so you've got less time working to save that money. But then also you've got more time spending that money. Because if you're going to live until age, say, I don't know, 90, um, and you retire at 65, that's 25 years you've got to cover. 
um, if you're retiring 55, you've, you've got to cover 35 years um, of income or expenditure, I should say, and you've got less time to build that up. So that's going to have a big impact by the same token. If you're prepared to work to 70, 75, you love your job. You know, there's lots of people, particularly in fields like, um, um, you know, academia and, and medicine and, and, and law and that sort of thing who are, who, who are in, often fall in, on, in this camp. Um you know, maybe you want to work longer, or maybe you're. And this is what this is the camp I fall into. I don't necessarily want to be um, working as a full-time financial planner when I'm 65 or 70, but I'll, I probably will want to do something. You know, and it doesn't really matter what that is. But I think um, I think having a part-time job or continuing to create content like this, if anyone is still listening to me, you know, I think there will still be um, things that I would like to do and potentially make an income from. So again, it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be a very specific or, or planned out, but having a little bit of an understanding of, of, of some of the broad guidelines of what your retirement potentially looks like, I think um, is really useful. The other thing that is really important is that it doesn't have to just be pensions only. So this um, this study from Royal London obviously looks at pensions, um, but there's lots of different options that you've got when you're talking about long-term investments. Pensions is one of them, but pensions are very restrictive. Pensions are, are good for many reasons. They're, the money that is in there is tax-free. You get tax relief on the way in. If you're a high-rate taxpayer or an additional-rate taxpayer, you can get additional tax relief. So there's a lot of good tax benefits there. They're great from an inheritance tax perspective in that they don't attract any inheritance tax. So there are lots of good things about pensions, but the downsides are they're very, very inflexible. You know, you put money in there at age 22, you're not seeing that money for 40 plus years. Um, so there are plenty of other different options. The really big one at the moment is uh, lifetime ices. So lifetime ices um, have some additions have um, a bonus that the twenty five percent bonus, which is you know broadly equivalent to to basic rate tax relief. So you get that benefit from putting the money in there. Obviously, it's designed for purchase of a first home, but um, you can also use it as retirement planning because if you take the money out. Before age 60, there is a penalty, so you'll you'll lose the bonus plus a little bit. But if you leave it in there until age 60, you can um, access it without losing the bonus. So you have the ability there to to make long-term investments um, with the expectation that it's for retirement. But if something happens that your circumstances change or your plans change, you can still get your hands on that money. So that's another option. ISAs. Obviously, again, tax-free. You don't get tax relief or any bonus or anything like that, but there's no capital gains tax. There's no income tax. You can grow as much money in there as you want and you will not pay any tax on it. Um, and depending on your, your level of income and your level of wealth, you know, there's lots of different tax allowances that you have access to as well. So you've got a dividend allowance, £2,000 per year of dividends that you won't pay any tax on. There's obviously annual capital gains tax allowances. So, you know, there's lots of different tax effective ways to invest that can be for the long term. It doesn't just have to be pensions. Um, the tax is, is obviously a really important point to get right, but the I think the most important part is your asset allocation. You know, especially if you're if you're a younger person, um, I see this quite often at the moment with people who are who are young who have a long investment time frame, like twenty years plus, and thinking, oh, "I'm a cautious investor, so I'm going to put my you know sixty percent of my portfolio in the equities market, in the stock market, and then forty percent in fixed interest." You know, you've got to keep in mind that um, one of the biggest uh, dangers or the biggest risks for 
um, your investments if you have a very long investment time frame is inflation. And protecting against inflation is one of the most important things for you to do for your investments over that long of a period of time. So getting that asset allocation right, getting diversified, but understanding where the money's going, how that it, how that is potentially going to grow above inflation and how volatile that might be, that is really the most important thing for long-term investments. So I guess the, you know, the important things are start early. The earlier you start, the less you need to contribute. Utilize as many of the tax-free um, or, or tax-effective vehicles that you can. Have a bit of a long-term plan about broadly what your retirement might look like. But I think the really important point that I want to stress, and especially if you're a really young person in your 20s, is don't devote too much money to it. You know, I know that the FIRE movement, if you've heard of this, this is financial independence, retire early. Pension's actually an awful option for that for obvious reasons. But the FIRE movement is all about basically having no life for like 10, 15 years. So let's say you're in your 25 and you want to retire by age 40. And these people are about cutting their expenses to the absolute bone, saving like 70% of their income and then retiring at age 40. Now, I think that's awful <laughs> and that's an extreme example. But really the important thing is that you, I don't think anybody who is young uh, or younger, younger, youngish, um, in their 20s or 30s or even, you know, early, mid 40s, late 40s even, you know, I don't think people should devote too much of their time, energy and money into planning for their retirement because you can easily fall into this trap of not doing the things that you want to do today because you're worried about how you're going to spend your time in 40 years time. And I think that's really, really dangerous. Um, you know, what your, our lives are for living. You know, it's important to have one eye on that long-term plan, but it's also really important to, you know, you shouldn't be not going on a holiday because you you've um, want to put an extra thousand quid into your pension if you're 25. You know, that's my opinion. Other people will think differently about that, but I believe very strongly about enjoying your life throughout your entire life rather than just squirreling away as much money as possible for some ultimate payoff at age 65. You know, I, I, I don't I don't believe in that. So for me, it's about having some understanding of the fundamentals, putting some, you know, putting some, a plan in place, a, a fairly modest plan, a moderate plan, getting the asset allocation right, but still enjoying your life today. Don't just live for retirement um, because who knows what the world's going to look like then, who knows what life has in store for you or for any of us really. Now, if you want to work out what these figures are for yourself, you know, a simple compound interest calculator um, does a really good job. So, if you go in and, and go into a compound interest calculator, you can add in how much you want to save each month over how many years, and then it will give you a figure at the end of it. Now, I recommend in order to the easiest way to counteract inflation is to take inflation off the interest rate. So, if you are um, if you think you'll get eight percent return on your investments and then you uh, think that inflation will be 2.5%, then you could put the total growth, um, uh, like the estimated growth at 5.5%. And that should give you a rough real life today's money value of, of your figure in the future. And then you'll end up with a lump sum. A very rough way to calculate how much income that might give you is the 4% rule. So the 4% rule says that a portfolio can just uh, can can um, support 4% annual withdrawals without reducing the value of the capital. It's very rough, but it's a, a good rule of thumb to start with. 
So that would mean that if you um, put in that figures into those compound interest calculator and you end up with a million pounds in there, then um, that could support an income of 40,000 pounds per year. Now, keep in mind, you may be a bit disheartened when you see these figures, but keep in mind that for most people, you'll be in a couple, so there'll be two of you. Now, you may not both be working full-time for your whole life, but there'll be contributions from both of you. You'll also likely have some state pension. It may not look like what it looks like today, but again, the state pension can be pretty significant, especially if there's two of you. So again, all just ideas to start getting a bit of an understanding about things so you can um, decide how much is affordable how much you can afford to put to long-term investments whilst still living your life today as well. So the next thing I want to have a talk about is this new seven times mortgage from Habito. Now, the housing market and mortgages is obviously a hot topic at the moment because the property market has been on an absolute tear. It's been very hot. It was up like 10% last year, I think maybe slightly over 10%. Um, which when you think about the price of a house is, is pretty significant. You know, if you've got a house that's worth 250,000 pounds, you know, that means it's gone up by 25 grand just in the last 12 months alone. So it's a pretty big deal. Um, mortgages tend to be, I mean, there's obviously slight differences between the different banks, but the kind of the, the broad rule of thumb is that a mortgage, um, a lender, a bank will lend four and a half times your salary. So, you know, that would mean that for um, you know somebody who's on, I'm, I'm not going to even try and do the numbers in my head, so I've got, got my calculator here, 50,000 times 4.5, if you are on, it's 225,000 pounds. So for someone who's on 50K a year, they could borrow roughly 225,000 pounds. That depends on loads of different things, if you have a lot of credit card debt or personal loans or bad credit history, that sort of stuff. But very rough, that's kind of what you're looking at. Now, Obviously, with these increases in, in property prices, Habito have said that they are prepared to lend up to seven times. Um, and that figure I can do in my head, that would mean that that 50,000 um, income would get you a mortgage of 350,000 pounds, which is a significant. Now, I think this is basically just a, a marketing gimmick rather than an actual realistic product. And there's a couple of reasons for that. So number one, the offer is only available for... Um, people who are working in set uh, occupations. So the list is firefighters, police officers, NHS doctors, nurses, paramedics, teachers, accountants, lawyers, barristers, civil engineers, dentists, architects, surveyors, and vets. Or if you don't fit into one of those categories, you have to have a salary of over 75,000 pounds. So on the whole, you know, I know there's a couple of, of lower paying jobs in there like nurses and um and teachers, but broadly speaking, pretty much all of those jobs are well-paid jobs. Firefighters, police officers, again, not necessarily depending on your rank and that sort of stuff, but you know they are not high-paying. Uh, sorry, they are high-paying and secure jobs. And obviously, if you're earning over seventy-five thousand pounds as an individual, that's for that has to be one person earning over that. Then um, that's that's a good salary. So number one, the people who are going to be um, eligible for these mortgages are probably doing okay for themselves um, as it is. Now, the interest rate on it is 2.79%, but again, there's a big but, in order to get that, you have to have a 40% deposit. So if you've got a 40% deposit and you're working in one of those jobs, which is probably a fairly high paid job and you're over 75,000 pounds, you're not exactly going to be needing this seven times mortgage to get yourself on the property ladder. You know, even if you are going to be buying your first house, 
you're probably going to be buying a pretty nice place. Now, obviously, I know that in London, um, you know, it costs a lot of money even to get a, a basic um, property. But, you know, this is not for people who are hard up, who need um, to really stretch themselves in order to get um, to get their first property and use a seven times for that. You know, Habitat are offering the, the mortgages for people who have less than a, a 40% deposit. The interest rate gets pretty bloody eye-watering. So if you've got a 10% deposit, the um, the rate is 5.6%, which is really high. You know, if you consider what um, what you can get um, uh, what you can get mortgages for at the moment. You know, they, they give it. The article I'm looking at here gives a couple of examples. So for, with Barclays, if you have a 40% deposit, you could get a rate that was 1.1% with Barclays. Um, if you had a 10% uh, 10% deposit, you could get a 1.61%. Um, with with platform, so the rates are high. Um, the the requirements for uh, for a deposit are, are, are really high as well, um, and it's also a long term fixed rate mortgage. So it's uh, I think it's fifteen years that you have to fix the mortgage for, which I'm not actually hugely against. I think fixing your rate if it makes sense for you um, isn't the worst idea because it gives you gives you some certainty as to what your you know, what your repayments are going to be. So I think this is a bit of a marketing exercise. I don't think this seven times mortgage is really going to be useful for many people. I wouldn't imagine there's going to be much of a take up um, of it. But I think, you know, it's it's something that I wanted to have a little bit of a talk about in terms of the affordability aspect, because obviously um, whenever we're looking at borrowing money, especially for a mortgage, the kind of headline is always the amount that we're borrowing. So if we're borrowing £400,000 or £100,000 or £50,000, that is the thing we all focus on. This is a good example. They're talking about seven times your salary. So they're not talking about how much the ongoing repayments are going to be, which is actually the important thing. They're talking about how much the lump sum is that you're going to borrow. And from my perspective, for something like a mortgage, which is housing that we live in is a consumable good, in my opinion. It's an asset, yes, but it's not a normal asset. You know, it is something that we we live in, we need for our own life. So the way that we need to look at the um, the cost of it, or the, the the liability aspect, from from my perspective, is the ongoing cost because it's no different, really, from running a car. You know, a car is an asset, kind of. It's a depreciating asset, but a car serves a purpose in our life. A car gets us to and from our job. A car gets us to the grocery store. It gets the kids to their football game on the weekend. It gets us on our holidays. You know, the important thing of a car, really, at the nuts and bolts of it, if you're not looking at it as a status symbol, is how many seats does it have? Um, how much is the... Um, how much boot space does it have? What does it cost me on an ongoing basis? That's basically it, right? It has utility. Um and a house, really, for the house we live in, should be looked at, I think, in the same way. You know, does the house give us what we need and what is the ongoing cost of it? Because the ongoing cost of it really is the only thing that matters. Now, that's with the expectation that you will have it paid off before retirement because um, I think that's really important. You know, I think removing the worry about increasing costs in retirement, making sure your money lasts you long enough and that sort of thing, having a house paid off, having somewhere that you live that doesn't cost you anything other than bills and utilities and all the normal stuff, I think is one of the, the best things that you can do for the finan- your financial security in retirement. But as long as you meet that objective, as long as you will have it paid off by retirement, really, it doesn't matter what the amount is. You know, From my point of view, if you're looking at borrowing some money, 
all that really should matter is what is that ongoing monthly cost and is that truly affordable? And I mean truly, you know, not can we squeeze by, is it truly affordable? And, you know, that's why often the, um, it's it's a weird situation where you know we can get all worried about borrowing two hundred thousand pounds, but actually the repayments are going to be less than what you're paying in rent at the moment. So, I think if you're looking at um, you know if you're looking at whether something is affordable, don't worry too much about the overall amount. Look at the um, is it affordable? Now, obviously, if you're in a tracker mortgage, that could change. So interest rates are at historic lows at the moment. Um, the rate's gone up a tiny bit recently. The Bank of England has put interest rates up a little bit. That could continue. They could continue to put rates up. So whenever the bank is assessing you for the mortgage, they will assess you based on the interest rates going up. But that's an important thing for you to do for your own budget as well. So when you're looking at how much can you afford to spend on a house, how much can you afford to take on a mortgage, you know, it's, it's really important to look at what things would look like if interest rates went up quite a bit. Like what would happen if interest rates triple from here or double from here? Because whilst that's not necessarily something that it may not happen in the short term, you know, if you're taking a 30-year mortgage, there's every likelihood that there will be some time in the next 10, 15 years where interest rates do go up. That's not to say they definitely will, but they could potentially. And that's really important to understand how that would impact your lifestyle today. You know, what would you have to give up if your mortgage repayment went up by X amount? So that, that's really important. But it's also the other reason why I actually quite like fixed fixed rate mortgages. Um, obviously, everybody is different, so it's not necessarily going to be the right thing for anybody. I, I personally really like the idea of knowing that this is my mortgage repayment and this is what it will be over the next 15 years or 20 years. Um, I think they're going to become more common in the UK. They're not long-term ones like that aren't very common. Um, and obviously, that you need to take into account the, the circumstances at the time and, and the mortgage. So, for example, you know, at the moment, we are, we are at a time where interest rates are low. So, fixing is a lower risk strategy. But obviously, if, if, if interest rates were really high, then potentially fixing is, is not necessarily um, as good of an idea. Uh, by the same token, some of the fixed rate mortgages have very um, little flexibility. So, it's hard to make additional repayments. Um, if you paid off early, there's penalties. And again, I, I'm not a huge fan of that. I think retaining flexibility where you can is important. Um, but as always, it's, it's really important to, to look at the trade-off. The last reason why I think the ongoing payment figure is more important than the total amount is because inflation works both ways. And this is a really key point that I wanted to make sure I, sp- I spoke about today because I've been talking lately a lot about inflation as it relates to the cost of living and as it relates to in- to your investments and your savings and why if you leave money in a bank account and inflation is at 4% and you're getting 1% on your bank account, you are losing 3% every year. You are getting 3% less wealthy unless you are adding more to that pot. And again, same with your income. If your income is going up less than inflation each year, then you're actually uh, you're less well off. Your your income is reduced in real terms um, as time goes on, and that's when you're trying to grow your wealth because you want your your you want the money coming in to go up. You know you want your income to increase. You want your wealth to increase. You want your savings and your assets to increase. But we don't want our debt to increase. <laughs> we want our debt to go down, and. The good thing is that inflation works in our favour when it comes to our debt, because while in the same way that a hundred thousand pound investment, if it didn't get any interest, didn't get any earnings, and we had a hundred thousand pounds sitting under our mattress, 
that £100,000 would be worth a lot less in 40 years' time or 30 years' time. If you took out a £100,000 mortgage and then didn't make a single repayment, the bank wouldn't let you, but let's say they would, and you just that debt just sat there, in 40 years' time or 30 years' time, that debt wouldn't be worth £100,000. You could still pay it back with £100,000, but that £100,000 you would need to fork over in 30 years' time would be worth significantly less than what it was when you took it out. So I'm not... You know, I'm not advocating for borrowing as much as possible and taking as long a mortgage as possible, but I just think it's important to also keep in mind because sometimes I think people look at these figures and think, how am I ever going to afford to pay that off? How am I ever going to be able to afford to pay that off? And I've seen people now, um, so many clients that I've worked with, where all that happens is you keep making the same repayment but it just gets more and more affordable because in real terms, the value of that mortgage is actually going down over time. So people are able to pay more off their mortgage, they're able to refinance, they're able to pay lump sums off, they're able to increase their regular repayments and it just does become easier as long as your wealth is increasing and your debt isn't increasing, that debt will naturally become worth less over time. So I think that's just a really important point to keep in mind that remember inflation works both ways, your debt is inflated away just like your investments are inflated away as well. So that is the episode for today, guys. I hope that's been useful to you. We've talked about how much you need to save for a comfortable retirement. I know I've given you some figures there that I will drop in the. Uh, I will drop the the um, the link to that information, that article, in the show notes. But like I say, take them with a huge grain of salt um, and just look at the overall principles of of starting early, getting the asset allocation right, making sure it's tax efficient, but making sure you're living your life for today not just for retirement. And then obviously we've talked a little bit about that seven times mortgage that Habitel brought out and some broad details on mortgage and my take on it and uh, mortgages and in general and kind of some of the, the key things to keep in mind there. I hope you found that useful. Um, as always, there is always lots more information up on the website, thehedge.io. You can find, um, there's blog articles. You can get pick up your copy of that ebook, that free ebook, Modern Investing Fundamentals. Um, and you can also follow me on Instagram. Like I said, I'm doing a lot more on there. There's lots more content today. I've just put a um, put a post up about income tax, explaining income tax, trying to keep things nice and simple. Obviously, a podcast is great because I can go into a little bit more detail. I can talk through things in a bit more um, nuance, explain explain different um, you know angles on on certain topics. But with Instagram, it can be a good way to get some simplified information in quick bites. So giving you some little things to think about, little things to do some more research on. Um, and I think that hopefully is useful to you as well. So guys, thank you very much for tuning into this week's episode of The Hedge. I really appreciate your support as always. If you have any questions, feel free to get in touch with me. Again, you can find a contact page at thehedge.io. I'd love to hear your questions. I'd love to hear how your new year is going. Um, and I will, uh, you know, like I say, if I have questions um, that I think uh, would be useful and um, to other people who are listening to the podcast, then I'll be more than happy to answer them on the show. Hope you all smash it for the rest of this week and I look forward to chatting to you on next week's episode. <laughs>